Welcome back to the Spirit of Sport. I'm Timmy Manor here on 1170 SEN. Joining me tonight, very, very special guest. Uh, we've had him on the show before, but we haven't had him on this capacity. We're going to, we're going to, like an onion, we're going to go and take a few layers off and just talk about life. Mitchell Allgood, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Timmy. Thanks for peeling me back here today. Now, I know we've gone through your stats and your, your career in the past, but let's, let's just run the listeners through a bit of uh, where you've been and what you've done. Um, firstly, you're Penrith Junior. Penrith Junior, yep. Uh, then we we collided worlds by uh, playing together at Parramatta. Yeah, had the opportunity to link up with a teenage Timmy Manor that mm. first year, the inaugural year of the, the Toyota Cup. Yeah, the uh, the those days I had a lot more hair, didn't I? You did. I did yeah. a, a lot more hair. Everywhere, actually, <laughs> for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into <laughs> we won't, won't get into too much detail about that, but yeah, you're right. My body had a lot more hair. Um, yeah, you. Yeah, I, 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 listen. You're seamless now. Yeah, yeah. Laser therapy, laser hair treatment's got uh, is is a trap. You you do it once and you feel oh I like this I'll do it again. And yeah, well some people go down that road with tattoos and they get addicted and they end up with teardrop. <laughs> you were just hairless. You're like a dolphin. <laughs> well, I, well, if I had a tattoo earlier, you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't see it because I was that hairy. So maybe maybe tattoos the next um, adventure for me. But thank you for bringing up my uh, my, my body hair. No, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, um, or lack of. So. Parramatta, we had some good times there. Mm. Uh, you then went from there to? Over to England, over to UK. Yep. Um, played for Hull KR for two seasons. Then we got relegated. I'm going to stop you there. Hull KR, what's, tell us about Hull. I've heard I've heard a few different reports of players that play in Hull, and they, they say it's a, it's a rough neck of the woods. It's beautiful. Yep. It's, you, you live in Parra. Like, you know Parra. People yep. talk negatively about Western Sydney. Yeah. Um, I think when you go over places and you're in the UK, going to Hull, we loved it. We had the best time. And you always have a good crew of Aussies. Every team, you've got seven other Aussies um, yep. you yep. Know, playing with you. I feel like Hull brings out the best in you. It's just a, it's a reflection of who you are. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? For the people who don't like it, I think it says more about them. Wow. That's, yeah, okay. Maybe Hull's a big mirror. Showing you who you truly wow. are. But we, we had a ball over there. Um, the people, the fans were amazing. There's two teams in Hull. Yep. It's got a huge rivalry um, when you play those games throughout the year, even the preseason. So did you have any friends at Hull FC like that you were catch up with? or is I don't think I did at that time. Because I was speaking to Batakarangi a few weeks ago, and he was saying, so obviously he was at, I think he was KR. Yeah. And Manu. Yeah, they were at FC and Beretta. FC, yeah, yeah. So a few of the boys that he was friends with were at the rival. Yeah. And he said, if we went out for lunch or dinner together, we'll be copping like yeah. heat and everyone's asking, you know, they're, they're the enemy. What are you doing with them? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and the thing when playing over there, the fans, they dictate and have so much impact on what goes on within a club because clubs are privately owned Yeah. by yeah. a fan. Yeah. And they're hearing your players are catching up with so-and-so from Hull FC <laughs> and then they're grousing on you. You can be dropped. Yeah, you can yeah, be yeah. moved on yep. for going for a coffee with one of the boys. Yeah. That's the reality over there because everything's privately owned. That's a bit more, you know, it's a bit more of a cowboy show. Well, speaking of cowboy and ruthlessness, mm. um, professional sport can be ruthless, but that... That million pound game, that's one that is as brutal as they get. Yeah. So you talk about being relegated. Were you part of that game as well? I was a, I was a part of that game. Now, what's it? So for listeners listening, when they have these million pound games, it's pretty much, if I'm right, the loser gets relegated yeah. out of the Super League into the second division, which means all the players' contracts become null and void. Is that correct? 100% on that day. So you're literally playing for your bread and you're paying, you're paying, for, your, <laughs> you're playing for your supper. You lose, you don't have a contract for next year or you don't, a reduced contract. 
you don't have a contract at all. Wow. You have to renegotiate, <laughs> you know, a contract if you're lucky enough to be yeah. give that opportunity at the club. And the time in which that game's played, <clears throat> it's a week after the NRL grand final. It's so late on. Yeah. So most teams, their rosters, everyone's full for the following season. Some teams are starting their preseason in a few weeks. Yeah. And you're looking at quota spots and things like that. They're all taken. Yeah. So you're there playing. You think you've got a year or two or three left on your contract. Yep. And then you realize that's it. I'm I'm done. It's oh. a it's a pretty dark. I think the people they see the entertainment side of it and they say, Oh, that's exciting. A team comes up, a team goes down. But being in that change room after that game, I've never seen so many grown men crying. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about. You um you know, you work a lot in the in the well being space. So you and even when you were playing, you were kind of a bit of an advocate for the well being um of athletes. How was the, the headspace for players going through that? So if you lose and you're part of that loss, mm. how do how do they go mentally? Because there's a lot of uncertainty after that. Um, even trying to get a club in the Super League would be hard because a lot of them would have committed to for sure their team for next year. So what, what's the I guess the well-being aspect of a player going through a million-pound game? There is total disregard for for the mental health. It's it's yeah. purely an entertainment thing, yeah, you right. know, and. Players, you know, the reality is a lot of boys, guys in that team, that was their last ever game. They were forced to retire after really? that. Really? Yeah. See, that's great. I wonder if you go through the stats of all of them, how many of them, how many career enders there are. Because there'll be so many people entering their career based on that game. Yeah. It, it's a it's a ruthless time. Um, even the team we played against during that game, they they felt guilty. They didn't want to celebrate. They didn't <laughs> want to be out there. I remember there was an interview yeah. after the game and then the following season too. It might have even been Sam Moe or someone was interviewed. Yeah. They're like, talk to us about this feeling. How good is it to have won this game? He's like, this is, this is horrible. Like, yeah, wow. you know, we've just played against 17 blokes who have lost their contracts. Yeah. Um, so the mental health, I think it's a contradiction to talk about mental health and supporting players when you can, you know, thrust them into a situation like that. That's so interesting, man. That's, <laughs> it's wild. Uh, it's a good response by that, whether it was Sam or not, but that's a good response because um, no one, there's there's no winners in that, is it? And we look at the old school gladiators back in the day mm. and the ones that were forced to fight. Like, you're not, mm. yeah, you have to kill or do something to someone else, but it's not a celebratory moment where mm. um, you, know, you can be happy about winning because the reality is there's a big loser on the other side. Yeah. Which could have easily been you. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, obviously lucky enough to, I was one of the players who was able to secure a contract. I stayed over in the UK uh, that following year. But again, I think that tainted. Five or KL? No, I signed with Wakefield. Yep. So sort of an hour or so down the down the highway. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that that changed my my lens, I suppose, on rugby league. You already knew it was a business from how I departed Parramatta. Um, but that just really shows that this isn't about player welfare. This isn't about caring. This is just, it's a ruthless little game. So was there another scratch in your lens? <laughs> the lens, I think one lens was out. <laughs> um, well, um, okay, so it's there. Whether we like it or not, the million pound game the game is there. The like million pound game, is that what it's called? They've changed the structure of it. So yeah. when I'd moved when I'd signed over there, yep. firstly, I had no idea that teams could be relegated. Yep. So ironically, I was at the time when I was moving on from Parramatta, I was looking at I had some one year opportunities here in Australia. And then whole KR come in with a, a three-year contract. And I was like, look, I'm going to sign there. I just want that security. <laughs> <laughs> and unknown to myself that oh. relegation even existed or, or what it was. Oh, you didn't even know that's no, a thing. I didn't even know that that was a thing, <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah, I signed over there for 
for that security. But at that time, that was a new sort of structure. There's always been promotion and relegation. Normally, yep. it was the team who finished last and the team that finished first in the in the championship. You know, that would, yep. that would swap. But for those first couple of years that I was over there, they'd have a, a comp. If you didn't make the the top six in the Super League, yeah. the bottom four teams would play in a little mini comp with the top four teams from the championship in a little mini competition, right? Why not make the death exciting? <laughs> <laughs> and that was, we're in the midst of that. So yeah. um, it was two teams, two Super League teams playing off. So for, what, what, if if you were the boss, right, mm. what would you do to change that? Because like, I do agree with the whole um, relegation and, and promotion yeah. idea. I understand that because then it gives the second division something to play for. Yeah. But how do you do it in a way where you're not, you know, ruining people's livelihoods or, you know, mentally screwing people around? I think that, like, again, I'm not going to try to, like, create some structure, but if there was just generally like a, a parachute sort of payment for, for a team who gets relegated, yeah. You know, that following season for the next 12 months, players that are signed to that and have existing contracts to just be given the opportunity to receive a reduced amount of that contract that is covered by, you know, the, the Super League or the, or the Rugby League or the association over there, you know, to then potentially say, okay, look, if we do get relegated, at worst, I know I can still be at this club on a 70% reduced you know, salary of what I would have been on. Yeah. And that just to be funded because... Once you do get relegated, you, you don't have the salary cap. It's all on the owners yeah, to, yeah. to provide that. So that's, you know, in essence, why it's called the million pound game because it's worth a million pounds to the team that gets promoted because they get the, the cap. Funding, yeah. Um, but yeah, just having that peace of mind as a player, if I knew, look, my worst case scenario is I'm going to be on 60% or 70% of what my salary is right now, yeah. at least that's something to, yeah. to, to have to, to fall on. And yeah. I think that if there were some things in place just to protect players – um, that would that would go a long way and really help. Yeah, because our mental health, man, like you know, financial pressures is one of the biggest contributing factors to to poor mental health, especially today. Yeah, got interest rate rises, cost of living. Um, on the back of one of the, late, um, the latest interest rate rises, Lifeline recorded one of their biggest days ever of phone calls. Really? Yeah. The the impact that these financial pressures are having on people's mental health is is huge. Well, it's, in many ways, triple people's repayments have tripled in the last twelve months. Exactly. Cost of living going up, petrol prices. Yeah. You know, it's 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 huge. Yeah. And those financial pressures, they need to be considered. And if there's ways we can support players and athletes in alleviating some of that concern, yeah, I think that'd be a really a really good thing to do. Yeah, it's um, there is a lot of stress. It's easy for fans and and people to look at, and some of our listeners are probably thinking, "Oh, they're footy players. Yeah, you know, what are they complaining about?" The reality is, yes, they're paid well. It's a very small window of your life. Mm. When you retire, you're not going straight into a the top of a organization or a corporate company. No. You are starting from the bottom. Like you're starting from. So if you yeah, I've been on six hundred. Someone's on six hundred k their career. They go from that to potentially working for fifty k. Working at a factory, you go from having three days off a week to having to work five, six days a week. You go from starting at normal hours to starting at 5 a.m. Or, um, you know, you lose so much of your, um, what, like your mojo, like a lot of the guys. So I get it. I'm on, I understand both sides. I understand the fans saying, yeah, but they're, they're athletes, what are they whinging about? But yeah. they don't realize that there's so much, um, you know, mental, uh, emotional rollercoaster they go on throughout their career. And not only financial, but also, you know, we, we always talk about on our show about, you know, injuries, 
um, lots of contracts uh, being dropped, poor mm. form. There's a lot. You're always teetering on the edge as an athlete, you know, of being pumped and happy and down and depressed. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. Um, and the reality is for a lot of rugby league players, you're not on that, that huge amount of money. You know, there's that, for the most part, players are on minimum wage or, or close to it. Um, signing one year, at, one year at a time, you know, you get to March by the time the season starts and players' mind says, I've got seven months until I can't pay my mortgage. Yeah. You know, what am I going to do? Am I going to have to uplift or go? Well, there's always that that uncertainty and that concern that's um, on your mind. But I get, you know, this, we're very grateful to and, you know, lucky to given the opportunity to, to play sport and I get that. I get that as well. Yep. Um, but, yeah, just looking at it and trying to support players as individuals, you know, yeah. to, to ensure we're looking after everyone's mental health. I know there's a lot of opportunities for players to get training and education throughout their career and a lot of a lot of it's on them for not taking it. Mm. But if they do take it, there's a lot of there's a lot of upside for athletes. Like there's a lot of negatives about them in terms of in the workforce. But there's so many good things like, you know, work ethic, yeah. teamwork, um, you know, being able to cop criticism, feedback. Yeah. Um, there's so many things that they have that normal workers don't have. So all it takes is for them just to be prepared to like study or train or do something in any field. And the reality is every club's got so many sponsors that would be happy to take you in for experience or to teach you or train you. Um, I reckon that's the part of it where players don't tap into enough yet. Like there's so many players that get to the last year or two and they start stressing and and, and I was there as well, even though I consider myself prepared. Mm. Get towards the end, like what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, But... The, the reality is there's so much there, so much good stuff there that they can just fine tune it and polish it and be prepared to like go into the workforce. They can kill it. Yeah. Um, but you go from being a superstar in one field to, you know, being starting from the bottom in another field, which is very daunting. For sure. And I think um, when approaching that transition, I think if we, we change the scope on how we look at transition um, and honoured that process a little bit more, players could use that as a, a time for that self-reflection. Yeah. You can you can see all the desir- um, desirable transferable traits you just mentioned. You know, hard working, you know, work with a diverse range of people. Your ability to handle negative feedback. I was an expert in that by the end of my, <laughs> career. <laughs> the end of my career. Yeah, but there's also some traits that don't serve me that I've picked up from playing rugby league as well. Whether that's being highly self-critical, you know, yeah. picking yourself apart, picking your performance apart. You know, talk about mental health. It's probably not a, a good trait to take with you. It's not, not going to serve you in life after sport. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, these sort of things. It's like, hey, what, am, what, what, I, what can I bring to the table? What can I offer? What should I bring with me? But, hey, what should I leave behind? You know, yeah. and I think if you, you do that process, it'll help set you up to best navigate life after footy because it is a huge thing. I don't know how many people are doing that, though. I don't know how many athletes <laughs> actually self-reflecting that kind we've of we've got to depth. create that space we've got to create that uh, space for them to do so yeah yeah I, I get i 100% get it um but it takes a lot of maturity for you to say that like a lot of mm. people um wouldn't figure that out on their own nah. um and yet, like you said there was a space um where they had like you know whether it's rlpa or a club well-being yep. officer someone that's leaning on them and or that they can lean on and give you those tips then yeah that can help but it's a, it takes a very mature person to look at it in that sense and see what they can leave behind and what they can take with them. Radical self-honesty. You know, you can look back on any situation. Yeah. And if you want, if you don't want to be honest with yourself, you can be the hero or the victim in any situation. Like, poor me, I was the wrong done by, or, you know, that's not fair, or oh, I was great, I did, I did that to them. But if you want to be truly honest with yourself, you might have to say, oh, actually, 
you know, I could have been better here. I could have been better there. Or, you know, this isn't something that I, I want to do in life after footy. Yeah. But being honest with yourself is yeah, it's can good. be quite, quite a tricky thing. Well, we, we speak on this show every week about the emotional rollercoaster that athletes go on. Yeah. Um, looking back now, I'm sure you would have done some things that would have managed that. But also, in hindsight, what what would you recommend athletes do to manage that rollercoaster ride? Ooh. Like I'll give you an example. One of the things I look back on, and yep. I can see the the good clubs do it really well, but we're guilty about the Parramatta where when we won a game, it was like we won a grand final. Yeah. You know, there was beers in the change rooms, there was music playing, celebration straight after the game. Yeah. And if we lost, we purposely turned it into a morgue. Like it was like yeah. a no one smile, no one talk, no one. There's no beers. There's no mm. go home, get ready. We're going to come back to training tomorrow. We'll get, so it was a very big diverse gap between a win and a loss. And what that created though was a, that roller coaster, the ups and downs. For sure. Um, but then I watch teams like you know uh, Melbourne when they were great, Roosters when they were great. Even watching Penrith now, you watch them after a win, they get in there, they take their shopping tape off, they sing their song, yep. they get ready for the next game. Yeah. They lose. It's exact. You could watch them in a change room after they win a loss, and it's very similar. Mm. I think that helps the individual with their roller coaster ride. Like I, I'm sure every athlete individually is going to have the ups and downs. Even if you win and you had a bad game, you're going to have that you know roller coaster throughout the week. But you can manage so much of what you're experiencing mentally by having a culture or a team culture that provides that balance, so you're not going up and down radically. Yeah, a culture that's consistent. Um, <clears throat> creating daily habits or things, daily rituals that best serve you as well. Yeah. <clears throat> um, whether that's incorporating, you know, research back coping strategies to, you know, manage your mental health, like, you know, talk therapy, you know, ice baths, cold shower, breath work, these sort of things. If you can incorporate them, whether it's journaling, gratitude, these sort of things as athletes, that this is a part of what I do. <clears throat> you know, when you fall on upon a hard time, no one's immune from hardship, right? Yeah. It could be injury, could be loss of, you know, income could be lack of form whatever it might be you're in the best position to to handle that because yeah. you're already looking after yourself you're, you're not pouring from an empty cup so to speak you're, yeah you're, you're looking after yourself pouring from an empty cup like that. that's a good one that's a good one yeah well i actually heard an analogy <coughs> once about that about the cup yeah, yeah and he said the person said to me um he had his cup of water mm. it was empty mm. and i had my cup that was empty he said ask me for a drink I said, I have a drink. Well, I can't. My cup's empty. Mm. And he filled his cup up. And he goes, now ask me for a drink. I said, I have a drink. And he poured water into my cup. And he said, the analogy was, if you don't look after yourself and you're empty, you can never help anyone else. 100%. So the whole idea was take care of yourself, your own well-being, and that way you can actually support people the way you do now, like the way you help so many athletes mm. um, <clears throat> that you're still close with. Um, why? Why do you do that? You've got a lot of friends that you're still close with that you, you act almost as like a, a mentor. Why do you still help people that are going through those challenges? I think um, most people, you know, you want to you want to do the right thing. You want to be able to help. Um, I believe for men, a big part of you know finding your purpose is turning your <clears throat> pain into that purpose. Whoa! You know, <laughs> wow! If, if you've gone through something, you know, a hardship, a tough time, if you have the ability to share some wisdom or help guide someone going through the same thing, um, it can sort of transmute that for you, you know. And to be able to turn your pain into purpose, that's some of the greatest organizations businesses and and things are created so you know if i'm linked up with a player who's going through a certain thing that you or i may have experienced before you know it's it's an honor to be able to you know be that person that can maybe give them a little bit of wisdom be that what you needed in that situation well we were teammates for a number of years how long did we play together for 
You were there at Parafilm 10 or 11? Uh, 2008. Oh, eight you came? Yeah. Oh, wow. I was 18. You would have been 30. No, yeah, you yeah. When, did you de- <laughs> when, when, when did you debut? 2011. So, yeah, so 11 till, when did you say, 14, 15? The end of 14, oh, yeah. So, yeah, so all teammates for that, that amount of time. Yeah. Um, and during that time, you had some gold nuggets of wisdom for me. <laughs> Don't you? So what I used to do, ladies and gentlemen, was I used to take uh, notes on my phone whenever I heard some wisdom dropped on me from the, the great Mitchell Logwood. I got one here, 26th of March, 2014, 8.41 p.m. I don't know what we're doing at 8.41 p.m. Game of Thrones probably just finished. Maybe, yeah, yeah. And Mitchell, good quote, one bad experience in life shouldn't de- defer, you, shouldn't defer you from doing it forever. Oof. Did you know that? I'm, you remember saying that? I know that you've got just this locker full of things <laughs> that I've said, both good and bad, both. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really, really good ones. Can I keep going? Oh, Depends. Okay, here's one from uh, 17th of April, 2014, 6.59pm. It's timeless to have good teeth. That's true. That is timeless. That is yeah, true. That's, that's, that's correct. That actually is true. I've got one more for you. 2015. I'm a sucker for a big smile. 31st of August, 2015, 5.30pm. I'm guessing a lot of these is when we're away, like on a yeah. trip away, team, team game, you know, in Brisbane or Melbourne. Mm. A good personality won't get your likes on Instagram. <laughs> I remember, actually. <laughs> a good personality won't get your likes on Instagram. I can remember you and I having a conversation once about um, our lack of maybe abs. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, was brought to our attention that abs are for people who don't have personality. 100% agreed. Like, why why bother? If you're already, like, cool, you're charismatic, man, yeah. you're going to the gym, no. doing that work, you're having that cheesecake. You don't need it. And um, thanks for listening, Willie Tonga. Uh, yeah, Willie Army, yes, I'm, I'm coming for you. We uh, we we let, we let him know that because anyone that knows Willie Tonga knows he's probably got the best rig in the in the planet. It's getting better and better. He's, 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 the older he gets, the better he looks. He grew some new abs. I saw yeah. the latest picture. Really? It's just, it's just there's twelve of them now. Good on him. Good on him. But we made it clear to him that we think that abs are for people without personalities. Mm. Um, so Tong, I am um, envious of your look. Yeah, but also. I'd rather my belly. My belly, my, my belly for me is a sign of how much I love life. For sure. And how much I enjoy life. Yeah. I enjoy life. You look at my body and say, yeah, he, he enjoys life. He, he's durable. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. Like, if I got locked in a dungeon, I'm, yeah. I've got six weeks at least. Yeah, yeah. Like, where my body's saying we're good. Kick back. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't worry. Tong. Yeah. No, nah, he's, he's got th- three hours. Yeah, 72 hours, man. He's dead. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's thin. Like, he's... It's dangerous. Yeah. Well, actually, he could slide out the bars if he was trapped. You know, he's... Yeah. Mm. But, you know, Remember, remember that time you sold his cheesecake? <laughs> so we're, so we're, in, we're in Los Angeles. Uh, myself, Mitchell, and Willie Tonga. Uh, and he does... He's not a dessert guy, which... Well, he, he wanted that cake a lot. So we were at a cheesecake factory. Um, I told him this this cheesecake is amazing. He goes, okay, I'm going to order one takeaway so I can have it later. Because we are drinking, so Tong doesn't eat and drink at the same time. Ah, but that's he was, what it was. He was desperate for this cheesecake. Yeah, so we buy the cheesecake takeaway. We take it, we drop it off at our room. Me, the me and you room together. Detour to drop yeah. the cheesecake back into the fridge to then yeah. go out. Yeah, because you don't want the cheesecake going off. Mm. Um, so we, we do that, and me and you are rooming together. He's on his own at a different hotel. Yeah. So his cheesecake is held ransom by us. Mm. Uh, we are out that night. We have a fair few drinks. Uh, we come back to the room and you did the crime of 
eating his cheesecake while we send the video. He was so upset with he us. He took it personally. He was uh, to these days upset about it. Yeah, a, de- <laughs> a decade later. And uh, <laughs> there's not many things like a lot of things are blurry, but when that cheesecake hit my palate, yeah, that was delicious. Yep. And there's so many things, reasons why it tasted so good, but. Yeah, I apologise. I'll go on record and apologise to Tong for doing that. Yeah, I think that's called for because he, uh, he's a good man, a good mm. friend. So mm. let's uh, let's apologise publicly. Mm. And but yeah, that was a highlight looking back. You know, we had the million pound game. Had a few adversities, but eating that cheesecake's up there. <laughs> it's got to be up there. It's, oh, man, it, like my kids bring me joy. Mm. Um, I love my wife. Mm. I enjoy sport. But there's not much things that bring me joy like food, man. I, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm wired that way. Like, People, like some people say they eat just because they have to. Like they got to, yeah. I don't get that. I wake up, the first thing I'm thinking of when I wake up is what am I eating today? Mm. And actually, I'm thinking about it right now, where we're going to eat after this. Yeah. I know what we're going to eat after this. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, eating, we've, we've shared many a meal together. Too. Oh, we have. We many a meal. have, yeah. Um, Isn't it amazing? Just on like food, right? Nutrition wise. When I started my career for the first 10 years from under 15s to as a 25 year old, we had parallel patties, nutritionists come in and talk about carb loading. Mm. And that was the thing. So before a game, load up on pasta, bread, then the morning of have carbs and, you know, cause that will get you through the game with a lot of energy cause carbs give you energy. Mm. And it wasn't until the second half of my career where, where nutritionists come in and pretty much th- say carb loading is the worst thing you can do. Yeah. You eat high fats, high proteins. Like, how is that possible that we got taught one thing our whole career and then learned, oh, by the way, that's actually the worst thing you can do? Why? Science, bro. It's science. Well, you know what? Okay, let me, let's dig it a bit deeper. I'll tell you why we're getting taught that. Because the people teaching us that genuinely believe that. Why do they genuinely believe that? Mm. Because the professors at the university were teaching them that. They trusted. Why were the professors at the university teaching that? Because there was a study done about three decades ago mm. where they bribed the sugar industry, bribed... Um, whoever it was that was doing the study, they only took $50,000 to bribe the doctors to say that, you know, the food pyramid, yep. they created the food pyramid. So the sugar industry and the wheat industry funded the food pyramid. It's incredible to look back at that now and realize that these professors were just teaching stuff that they thought was truth because the study said this is how you should eat. 100%. They teach that to the students. The students go out in the real world. They go to the athletes. They go to us. They go to mum and dad saying, you know, carb loading is great. And then you realize, oh, it was funded by people that had the wrong intention. Yeah. And that, that little food pyramid's in every PDHP. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. On every box of cereal, I used to eat my cereal watching it. Yeah, you used to look at that pyramid and go, oh, I'd eat my six bowls of new grain. Fish, and, there's bread, there's all these things. And what's, again, your, what's your record in Wheat Bix, by the way? Wheat Bix? Do you know what? I know your record. I know you had your mouth wired shut. You broke your jaw. You, you know me. And well. then the day you got the jaw taped, your wires the weekend, out. The first weekend, yeah. You yeah. ate a little mini box. Yeah, so I ate 24 wheat bigs with a, with a, I didn't finish the chocolate milk, but I had a oak two liter chocolate milk. Yeah. So I'm sitting on my parents' balcony. All my friends were there. I couldn't eat hard food because I was only allowed to eat soft food. Of course. So they're all eating. I can't remember what they were eating. I have a lunch and I just got my wheat bigs out, chocolate milk, just eating, talking, having a good time. Sounds pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I finished the box and everyone's like, you just finished the box? And then we ended up counting. It was 24 in there. Um, and I did it easy. And you deserve that. I <laughs> This was something I thought about because my, my boys, they eat Weet-Bix now. And like Jude, he just turned five. He smacked four Weet-Bix for breakfast yesterday. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's my boy as well. He's doing the same. Yeah, and like my older boy, Pete, they sort of like compete. They see each other eating. And now I started <laughs> thinking about like Brett Lee, like when he was sponsored by Weet-Bix. Yeah, I yeah. remember like the ads and it's like Brett Lee does seven. 
And I'm like, man, if I was sponsored by Weebix, my ego would be like, I need to see how many I can do. Yeah. So then yeah, they're like, yeah, Mitch yeah. Allgood does 29. Like, you know what I mean? That'd be a I, great, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have stopped at seven. That's a great ad campaign for him. Maybe it's a credit to Brett. Like, he's that secure in who he is. He goes, I know what I can do, <laughs> but I'll just tell him I Yeah, those cricketers, mate, their rigs are different. They're, <laughs> they're, they're not carrying the same kind of BMI that we are. Australian fast bowler, though. What's that? He's the Australian fast bowler. Like Just a lean. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if he does much more than seven. I think seven's high for him. You reckon seven's Brett's I reckon, I reckon he's stretching himself to seven. I think he thought like you... Like, I want to impress everyone out there. I'm saying seven. Yeah. I'll probably do four in a normal morning. Yeah, no but, one's looking. But once I push myself to seven yeah. and everyone, that's my number. Yeah. yeah. Like, my five-year-old's almost beaten Brett. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I reckon I could do 24 right now. You reckon? You reckon? Yeah, easy. I've got a gift, though. I can eat. Do you know what we should do one day? Mm. We should get back on the show, and we'll have three of us on here. Yep. And I just want you to eat the, the weekly while we're doing the show. Yeah. And just we'll just keep the, the, the listeners updated. This is like a genre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever done the whole eat wheat weeks without milk? I've tried. So I tried to eat like a, a <laughs> almost said a sayo, something like that. <laughs> something like that. Dry. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. it was challenging, but you know, it's very difficult without milk. I still like again another proud moment when I become the Snitzel champ. When I when I yeah, listeners, challenge. please, and, and then it's going to lead me on to our, our next mm. conversation. But yep, go ahead, tell everyone what you did. Yeah. A kilo of schnitzel, a kilo of chips, liter of beer. Um, Fourteen minutes. The, yeah, the, the goal is to try to do it with an hour. Most people, you know, struggle to do that. And the record at the time was like seventeen minutes. Are oh, you what? You beat the record. I beat. The, yeah, I become the schnitzel champ. You were the guy. I'm the. I am the schnitzel champ. So I walked in and said, "I got this." I was so proud of you. I know. You. I was so proud <laughs> of you. But I tell you what's happened is in the the months and years from there, you end up becoming a vegan for a while. Yeah. Which I sh- I wrestled with a lot. I really struggled with you as a friend. It put a strain on our friendship. Oh, did it what? And then that's why I'd have to remind you, you know, with your faith and beliefs, you know, don't judge me and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And it, was, it was difficult. It was hard. Yeah, my faith got tested as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm back. You are back. I'm back. Um, and we do, on the Spirit of Sport, we talk a bit about faith. Um, you've always been um, open and you, with everyone of different different beliefs, different personalities, different cultures. Mm. Why do you have such an open view on, on people's um, you know, upbringing and what they believe? Because I... it's very easy to have a closed view, a closed mind. Like even me, with someone of faith, it's easy for someone of faith to think, okay, well, I've got it perfect and everyone else is wrong. Yeah. And, and, and Christians, we're probably the worst at times because Christians have we've got so many different denomin- denominations. Yeah. You know, Baptists, Charismatics, Pentecostals, um, yeah, I'm missing a million of them. Yeah, um, Anglicans. There's um, just there's a whole bunch of denominations. My point is though, each of them probably thinks that they've got it together, yeah. and the next person's wrong. Yeah, um, and that's where I think you know people can be even people of faith be closed minded. But you've always been very open. We've had a lot of conversations about faith, but you've always been open to people's beliefs. Why is that? I I don't judge a person based upon. You know, the color of their skin, the religion, where they're from or, or things like that. Just you know, their teeth. Just their teeth and the content. <laughs> of their, just the, yeah, the structure of their, their jaw and their teeth. But just the, the content of their character, you Ooh, know, yes. the essence of who they are. Because mm. these other things, really, they're just titles. Yeah. You know, grow, you're from Western Sydney, you're Lebanese, you're Australian, you're Christian, you're what, whatever it is. These are all just titles, but when you peel all those things back, and it just becomes the, the essence of who that individual is, and that's what I say. Growing up in a melting pot like Western Sydney helps, or for sure, 
I'll, you know, especially guys know growing up out in Penrith, if, if you're making any of the rep teams, I was like the token white guy in most of the yeah, teams. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and my Guilford team, it was all Tongan. <laughs> we had me, my brother, joining Lebanese, and a, two Fijian guys. The rest of Tongan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I love that because, and as well, that was probably had a big impact on um, who I am today and who I am, I guess, as a father too, because being around so many of my Polynesian friends, how close Nick, everyone lives, how everyone shares, everyone's yeah. connected. Like, white guys weren't doing that sort of stuff. Like, <laughs> like until I got to high school, like, if, if one of my Islander mates if went to the canteen and got a sausage roll or whatever, if he comes back, he snaps in half. We have one half each. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like, oh, we're, we all share, you know. But Mate, and on this is, I know we've got a lot of Australian listeners here, but going to an Aussie house as a kid for dinner, <laughs> I grew up in a Lebanese culture where you cook for 300 if yeah. there's six of you. Yeah. I remember going to like these, even now, you get to Australian person's house, you have a barbecue and it's one sausage each <laughs> and one one piece of steak. And, Ease and, up on and, the sauce. And look at the salad. <laughs> yeah, it's very uh, structured. Whereas I, I like the smorgasbord. I like, I want a table full of food and we let's, yeah. let's, let's just break bread together. I'm trying, I'm trying to change the narrative of that too, Tim. You know, I'm overindulgent in my personality and <laughs> in a lot of areas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And I'm trying to, you know provide feasts and, and create that narrative. There's some Aussies out there, you yeah. know, they might buy two creamy pasta salads from Coles and go all out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But nothing can be like a <laughs> Lebanese spread. Oh, we'll, and that's our love language. Yeah. Food's our love language. Yeah. Um, and even if I, if I try to impress people through food, I'm like, I want you to enjoy your experience. We're going to go eat. We're going to have fun. Yeah. yeah. And you just watch. <laughs> <laughs> just stare at them. Yeah. Are you enjoying that? Uh, just watch them grow. Yeah. <laughs> um now your your next chapter so you're retired now mm. um you do some more work in the well-being space but what what's your driver now like what what gets you up in the morning what gets you excited i think again that um looking to do things that fill me with a sense of purpose um and i feel that sense of purpose when i can help people or be a part of the process in people, you know, becoming the best version of themselves. Um, that journey of self-improvement, self-betterment. I know it's a forever journey. Um, and if I can play a part in, you know, helping someone or alleviate any pressure or giving some guidance or wisdom, that that's what gets me up, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that, that ability to, to do so. Um, seeing, seeing my friends succeed, seeing people I, I love and care about, you know, doing well, um, giving people tools, I suppose, to, to navigate life, as we said, when talking about mental health, introducing them to certain things that they, they may not know or a perspective they may not have heard before. Yeah. That's the sort of stuff that, that lights me up. That's awesome. Um, um, I always say that one of the biggest decisions someone can make in their life is who they decide to partner with or marry or do life with. Um, Mads, yeah, she's incredible, but tell us a bit about what she does and, and how that, how you guys kind of, you know, end up on the same page because, you know, there's all that stuff about talk about well-being and then there's talk about, um, you know, having time for, to meditate mm. and there's breath work. But now all of a sudden now, uh, people are starting to learn more and more about that. Yeah. Tell us a bit about what Mads does. Yeah. So she's a, a holistic health coach. Yep. She uh, incorporates, you know, numerous healing modalities, you know, including breath work. Um, predominantly now she's really, really, really driving breath work. And she brings people together, um, creates those spaces to, to heal, you know, runs different retreats. She mentors women and men. Um, and for us to be able to grow into that space as well, um, I personally, I, breath work has become a huge part of my life. 
It's something that it's I like, use. Yeah, when you say breath work, what does that yeah. mean? Using the power of our breath to regulate our nervous system or to, you know, calm us or uplift us. Or there can be deep excavations too. You can do breath work journeys and it's like a, you know, big self-discovery. But you can use the power of breath to to help, you know, regulate yourself, calm you down, ground you. Um, you can functionally breathe too to help us breathe more optimally. Yeah. And the thing I like about breath work the most, I suppose, as opposed to other things that, you know, really help and serve our mental health. It could be sleep. It could be exercise. You know, we don't necessarily have a mattress everywhere we go. We can get eight hours sleep or, you know, be able to hit the gym, but we have the ability to use our breath. So if we're in the traffic, you know, in someone cuts you off and these are sort of situations where, you know, you might normally lose your head or, or get really triggered. If you can use that breath to, to help calm you and ground you in that situation, it's a, it's a tool that we've got with us everywhere we go. Yeah, um, wow. And I think for, this is just bouncing off topic a little bit, but for men, a lot of us, like, we want to feel that sense of, of presence. Yeah. You know, we want to feel truly present. Um, and for a lot of us, we're so distracted. Like, we've got yeah. social media, yeah. we're scrolling, we're always thinking, we're never truly present and our, we're, we're craving that. And for a lot of us, the most time when we feel that sense of presence can be in, like, anger or rage. Like, if yeah, someone, yeah, if someone yeah. is to cut you off in traffic, you are spr- – like – you know, you're going off, you're yelling, you're screaming, you are feeling truly present. Yeah. And your body, you're getting that need met. So you begin to wire your neural pathways in your mind to say, oh, this is how I can get that need met. Beautiful. Next time someone cuts you off in traffic, it's, oh, here we go. Boom. You get to that point quicker and quicker where your fuse is shorter because you're becoming present through through anger. Yeah, yeah. But if we can get that need met in a, in a way that better serves us, whether it's, you know, breathing, meditating, whatever it might be, we can, you know, begin to let that the grass sort of overgrow on the highways that are those previous neural pathways of, of anger and rage, and you know, get that that get that served in another way. And if I have the, if I can, you know, introduce people to that, and through things that Madeline has created, we've been able to share that with with so many people, and that that's a gift in itself. That's awesome. And, and she, yeah, she's, and it's important because if you don't, if you don't breathe, you're dead. That is, <laughs> that's the kicker. <laughs> so don't stop. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> or else. Oh. But yeah, she's she's awesome, man, and she's she's all ends of the spectrum. Like she's very embodied in in all that sort of stuff, and then she's cool, and we laugh, and doing life with her is an absolute pleasure. Yeah, can I ask you about uh, Jude's journey? Jude's journey, yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us, listen, a bit about what because that was. As a matter of yours, I can't imagine what it was like for you, but it'd be horrifying to experience that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, again, I would not have been able to get through that year, that first year of Jude's life, if it wasn't for for Madeline. Um, you know, she was heroic as a as a mum in investigating and figuring out what was wrong with our little boy when it was so difficult. So, uh, yeah, our younger son Jude, uh, when he was born. <coughs> we knew something was was wrong we we didn't quite know what it was yeah um and the journey to to figure that out was was quite grueling quite taxing in so many ways um jude was diagnosed with with craniosynostosis yeah so that's the premature fusing of the of the sutures in his skull so those sutures you know in a, in a baby's head they're they're not joined yeah you know, as they grow they, they become connected however jude's um his sagittal suture was completely fused all the way top of his skull wow um did he come out like that? He came, yeah, yeah. He, was, he was born like that and we didn't know. Um, and the journey of us trying to figure out what was wrong, seeing different doctors, specialists, chiropractors, all, all these different experts, you know, it, it was it was grueling. 
You know, Jude mm. was in agony from, from the day he was born. You know, he was screaming. He was so unsettled. And the process of us just getting that diagnosis was, was quite taxing. And, you know, we were linked up with Dr. Walter Flapper, who's our um, craniofacial surgeon down in Adelaide, and Dr. Santorinius, who's a neurosurgeon down there as well. And Jude had to undergo a, a full cranial vault remodeling surgery uh, at the age of eight months, eight months old. So just to go through that, you know, he was in intensive care for a month after that, um, in hospital for a month after that. And just the ongoing check-in support, it's something that no parent should, you know, ever have to, to experience, um, you know, to, to have even the meeting before that operation, you know, and you have to, to sign off and understand that your son may not make it, make it through this is, is something no parent should have to do. It's scary, man. Um, you know, he had the top of his skull removed. Yeah. Um, they did a five centimeter incision in his skull during the operation. And by the end of his surgery, it had expanded to, to nine centimeters. Fire. So he's, he had that much pressure in his skull that, you know, it just, it, it come to that length. So he lost a lot of blood. Uh, he's a true soldier. He's my inspiration. Um, the most resilient little boy in the world. How's he now? He's doing really well. Does he have any, like, is there any side effects or? So the, we've had to continue, you know, the ongoing the ongoing care and the, and the check-ins. Um, he's just had his fifth birthday without needing to get a, a second operation. Um, but, you know, he's, he's obviously, he's got a scar from one ear to the other on, the, on his skull. Yep. Um, but he, he's doing amazing. You know, he's, he's honestly just so resilient. Um, being, in, being in hospital with him, you know, not, especially on that first night after his surgery, he was laying there in bed and uh, like he would have to be checked because of the seriousness of the operation. His skull was all wrapped up. He was missing the whole top of his skull. The neurosurgeon had made incisions all the way around his skull as well. He, he would have been in agony. Mm. And they had to do obs on him every hour on the hour just to make sure he was okay, check his toes, check his feet. So it was like, you know, one o'clock, they do it. And then he's screaming, so unsettled for the next 45 minutes. And then yeah. finally get him calm again. And then look at the clock, oh, 15 minutes on, oh, I've got to go again. And then three and four and five. And I remember it was like oh, probably four or 5 a.m. And I'd just done his, they'd just done his latest ones. I'm there trying to calm him while he's laying in the bed. And he's just screaming, screaming, screaming. And he was only a little boy. He was only like eight months old, nine months old. So he, he'd said mum. But he hadn't really said dad yet. And, um, oh, God, this gave me a little bit emotional. Um, Keep going. You got me, Timmy. <laughs> yeah, he, um, he was crying. And then all of a sudden he just went silent, just stopped. Yeah. And crystal clear, he said daddy. Oh, wow. Is that the first time he said daddy? And, yeah, I just let him know that I'm here. And yeah. The bond he and I have. <sighs> yeah. And, Nothing can break that. So, yeah, to get through that time and the relationship I have with him is something I cherish. What got, how did you get through that? Like, how, like, I can't imagine what it would be like. It was grueling. Yeah. You know, we kept a lot of it to ourselves. We didn't let anyone know. And then when we did open up to the club, I was at the Dragons at the time. Yeah. The support that, that the club gave us, yeah. um, oh, um, unbelievable. You know, Scotty Stewart, Holly, Mary. Mary's the man, you yeah. know, he and I had a conversation and he backed me when I was so confused. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And he just said, you go to Adelaide, whatever you need, whatever time off you need. 
wow. your little boy comes first. That's awesome. And when you're lost or when you're trying to navigate certain things and you're confused because we didn't necessarily know what was wrong. Yeah. You know, for him to give us that, that push, like, you know, people talk about coaches having an impact. What oh, more, I love Mary. What, yeah. what more of an impact could a coach have on a player? Yeah. You know, like we said with, with Jude, how he's, he was under so much pressure, his skull. You know, if, if we'd waited another week, another month, you know, the damage that could have been done to his brain could have been unfixable. Yeah. So Mary, you know, and the club supporting me and allowing me to, to go straight away and back us to do that is the difference between, you know, Jude being here and potentially oh, not right. being here. That's awesome. Man. And, yeah, we wouldn't have got through that. And the boys were amazing too, like. Yeah. The whole crew there at Dragons. The Dragons, eh? Yeah. And that's why when I see the club, if you can build off those values of, you know, yeah. this is what matters and all the, everyone getting behind that support, like you could build off that. They they deserve so much success because yeah. there are so many, you know, good people who genuinely care in that in that club. Yeah. Now apparently they can win footy games with you. <laughs> you just got to yeah. That's the tricky part. <laughs> and obviously, you yeah, know, yeah. if you can look at my career, I didn't find that formula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, mate, I couldn't have picked the worst 11 years to be at the Parramatta. Like, if I look back now, there was enjoy- we have six different CEOs. Mm. I played under six coaches. I had four different board upheavals. You were there. You were talking about a board change, yeah. the bloodbath. Bloodbath, uh, yeah. So, yeah. But, and I always think about that. We had some fun. We had some yeah. <laughs> when I think about the, like, you know, get in the wooden spoon and, and, and then I remember like the next four or five days after the season ended and yeah. some of the, the ways in which we'd, we'd celebrate. And I'm like, <laughs> imagine the Panthers right now, what they're oh, doing. Like, yeah, yeah. We, we came last and we're celebrating. Like, imagine if you won the I comp, just yeah. think about that nonstop. Like they, you, they deserve it. Like when I saw that performance by Nathan Cleary in the grand final, I'm like, you deserve yeah. it, mate. See you in three weeks. Like just go for it. Yeah. Um, I, 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 as soon as he's happy out of the Australian team, I'm like, yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. yeah just no way. Enjoy the next few weeks. Yeah, have you a, deserve have it, a good mate. Time. And yeah, watching that game, like he's he's the man. Eh? Yeah. The uh, success Penrith happen having that's. I was quite conflicted watching Penrith play for a long time. I um, did you hate him? I had a little because I let you go. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. This is actually a, a personal little thing that I've never really shared. I've never shared this with you. It's actually about Madeline. Yeah. Um. So we're chilling, right? This is. A bit weird, but we we're just chilling, um, talking, and we're talking about like not hall passes, but you know, you know, top three guys who you think are you know the most attractive men in the world. Yeah. And she's like, oh, like I like older guys, like George Clooney, oh, and then like you know your Brad Pitt, yeah. and then like oh probably Ivan Cleary. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was just out of nowhere. He's a good looking lad. Yeah, he yeah. is. But it just caught me off guard. <laughs> I'm like George Clooney, Brad, Ivan Cleary, and I was like, whoa. And full credit to Ivan Cleary. Like yeah, he's yeah, gorgeous yeah, yeah. and he deserves it. <laughs> but I'm like, this is just out of nowhere, right? Yeah. And then, so if, I was like, always felt weird watching Penrith for a little bit. And I remember I was watching the game and Mads was sitting on the lounge too. And Nathan Clear was kicking a conversion. And it kept going up to the box, showing Ivan and going down, showing Nathan too. And then I'm like, I'm a bit frustrated knowing that this man can ruin my family. And, um, <laughs> and I look at her and I'm like, oh, suppose you got the hots for, uh, for Nathan too. She smiled, closed her eyes and went... He's got nothing on his daddy. <laughs> oh wow! It's, 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 it's a real love. And then yes, yeah, so, no, I'm good on him. And when I see him, see him getting that success. I'm Did like, you see him get interviewed after the game? The, the man. <laughs> the no, man. the next day. Yeah. 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 And that's all camo coming yeah, in. Damage well, control. Well, camo came in. He's like, okay, no more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just ruling everyone out. Oh well, mate. We uh we have gone overtime, but very, very, very good to have you on the show. Look forward to hopefully doing more of this. Um, but yeah, just a bit of 
I think the theme of today's well-being, but uh, we'll have some conversations moving forward on some different topics as well. Yeah. Uh, no, appreciate the chat, Timmy. Um, the theme might also be, you know, laser hair removal as well. Yeah. Um, the benefits of we that. We should probably might. get a sponsor for the show. Maybe like a laser. Wheat bix. Maybe we could eat wheat bix while we get lasered. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> <laughs>